0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. trip ready when you are prepare for warp course laid in sir request permission to get underway let's go Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and this week, as I promised on our last show, I believe I did anyway, I am going to complete the Earl Grey hat trick I have with me today, the third member of our TNG show, Earl Grey, Darren Moser. Darren, welcome to the nx one Oh, thank you, Chris. It's It's been a long
1: time since I've been back here, but I, I am glad to be back. I always enjoy talking about
0: Enterprise, and I'm glad to, to help you get that matching Earl Grey set. <laughs> I think I get a t-shirt, or do I get one of those mugs that you guys have with the Earl Grey logo on it? I don't know. I'm going to have to run that by
1: my executive producer. He had to approve the
0: logo going on those mugs. I'm not All sure right. what he's going to say, but <laughs> I I think I can I think I can pull some strings for you. Okay, I hope so. I hope so. That would be great. Yeah, last time you were here on the show, I remember we talked about Regeneration and the Borg, and you even named the episode A Little Less Wetsuit, A Little More Laser Pointer.
1: Yes, I'm I'm, I'm hoping for some witty puns in this hour
0: so I can name it again. (laughs) Very good. Well, we were talking about a topic for today, and you suggested that we talk about the very creepy but very good Enterprise episode from season two, Dead Stop. And it's one of my favorite Enterprise episodes. And really, I would say one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. And so I thought that sounded like a great idea. Yeah, it's
1: definitely one of my favorites when I kind of rediscovered Enterprise going through it in Netflix and did a whole watch through and it was great. It's like new Trek. Hey, this is great because I had missed a lot in, in first run. And this episode just definitely stood out to me for many of the reasons that we'll discuss none the least, which is, you know, its continuity from the episode right before it, mm-hmm. uh, great special effects. Uh, a mystery plot. I'm always up for a trek mystery, be it clues or, or dead stop. And uh, so, yeah, I was I was really glad that you picked this topic for us to talk
0: about. Right. Well, actually, you picked the topic. Well, you agreed said with my pick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, the well, you're from TNG, and the first subject that I wanted to talk about, um, thinking about a like a heading for this subject. I thought about Samaritan Snare, which is, of course, the title of a TNG episode, but it's interesting in Enterprise how naive the crew can be at times. I think about in season one with Archer out there saying, hello, we're from Earth. You know, Here's, here's our spatial coordinates. Our that's right. Oh, gosh. I'm really <laughs> surprised
1: go. I didn't bite them more because that's really... I, I loved every person they would meet, especially the ones who were just like... We okay. We work in space. I tow garbage, and it's like, what do you want? I gotta tow this garbage over right. to the sector. It's like this isn't. I'm not an explorer. I'm just moving from parsec to parsec. Like, just chill out, dude. You know, I, I don't want to make first contact. I don't want to share my database with you. Uh Which I mean, that those databases are they? Is it like all of Wikipedia, like on a flash drive? I mean, what exactly are they giving them? I mean, do they edit out? some of the more violent parts of our past. I would I would hope so. But yeah, Archer definitely leads the naive captains, but he's the first captain. I mean, he's got to, you know, he's got to figure it out. And he does get some stiff doses of reality, especially in the episodes leading up to this, where, I mean, his ship, it's, it is, you know, they are looking for things to make them go. Uh, his ship has been banged up, blown up, it's it's missing a chunk out of the you know the saucer section and 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 hey guess what when when the when the titles end in the beginning of this episode there's still a giant chunk missing and mm-hmm.
0: that's you know just such a such a wonderful piece uh, to to begin with which is great because on the commentary for this episode which is on the blu-rays but was actually i believe back on the uh, original sets, I think it was, it's with Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. They talk about how in Star Trek, typically the ship's damaged, but the next episode, it's fine again, which is what I call the Dukes of Hazard effect because... <laughs> that General Lee. If you remember, yeah, the General Lee could just get the crap knocked out of it. And then they go to commercial and when they come back, during that 60 seconds, Cooter had fixed the General Lee and it looked just brand spanking new and that often happens with the enterprise and i love the fact here that they decided to actually address that in a realistic way in star trek but as we were talking about archer being naive i think that's something that at times enterprise got away from even in season one because there was this mix of everything's new this is a prequel and here are familiar aliens that you know and love and here's familiar technology that you know and love and so here was a moment where they did get back to that naivety and the idea of them coming across this station this repair station somewhere out there in space they have no idea where it came from it's so good to be true i mean it's just it's ridiculous right i mean it's it's yeah it's way too good to be true, and yet they go in and they're happy to let this mysterious alien station repair their ship and initially i think buy into the idea that for some reason they can just pull in here and get everything fixed for a very reasonable price and be on their way yeah the the ship or not the ship the the station, which is basically a character
1: i mean it is uh, yeah. It, and, and it, you know, Egg was giving them the silent treatment for a good portion, you know, as they're playing, I mean, it doesn't respond to hails. It just, it, I mean, they almost would have, I think, turned away except for the aperture of the, of the, you know, the port side just started to reconfigure itself to fit the Enterprise. And I mean, let alone just the fact that the Enterprise can even dock with any other ship. I mean... I, I mean, there is no federation. There is no universal docking latch system. <laughs> so the fact that you know the Vulcan ships and the you know Tellarite ships and this ship can all dock is just you know
0: very very lucky. I mean, they're well, Darren, they're really fortunate for that. Darren, I think, and you should know this as one of our TNG hosts. Go back to the chase now. When they seeded oh, the medial <laughs> oceans, so and that's why there are so many similarities amongst humanoid races, they also put in there a, a predisposition toward universal docking ports and also universal computer interfaces. That's why you can go on an alien ship and work the control panels with such ease. It's also why all ships from all races can easily dock with one another.
1: Well i mean it, it, to a point it does make sense a humanoid i mean if everyone is humanoid their their airlocks are going to be that kind of oval ish two meter high shape. I mean they're not going to be this weird hexagon you know forbidden planet triangle door you know it, it's that so i get I get that part, but uh, okay we'll we'll look we'll look past that on <laughs> onto the awesome space station, but
0: well, what uh, did you think about the station? itself now they never explain of course in this episode or anywhere else on television in star trek where this station comes from and and i kind of great well it's great although it is something that i think that in a seven season run of enterprise it would have been cool to come across another one somewhere Mm. and revisit that and so there's been speculation amongst fans over the years about the origins of this station. One thing that I have heard before here and there is like maybe the Borg built it. I don't buy into that at all. For one thing it's white. Yeah. I mean the Borg, you know, they like gray. They like their greens like black, and blacks. greens, and yeah. Not
1: nearly enough laser pointers, you know, built no. into that station, but No. Yeah, I I could say the species that was maybe species 1 could have built it you know, that, that founded the Borg, I could, I I would, I would buy that. Mm -hmm. I'd buy that more than the Borg as we know them, because it just, why would they build this? It doesn't serve their purpose at all, or at least the way they operate in any regard that we know of. But, but yeah, I love the station. It's the design is really nice. The way, the way it reconfigures, you know, kind of that, I don't know, it's like that accordion, you know, kind of, spherical you know or, or cylindrical uh, design and it it's totally believable that's the nice thing i mean they're they're presenting this new technology and this new station that we've never seen before but you completely buy that some race could have built this i mean it's not too far beyond the realm of pos- uh, plausibility and and the way that our characters react to it you know as we go on you have you know reed and um trip and they're like where wait this thing is doing amazing things where the heck is the is the computer i mean it's our computer's three decks high you know and this Mm -hmm. as far as i can tell there's this tiny room in between them so when they start to react to it like normal humans and going wait this doesn't is this isn't a tardis ship you know this isn't a tardis station it's got to have a a computer and obviously it drives the plot forward but Mm -hmm. uh but yeah, I'd say much more 2001 look than Borg.
0: Look and feel, yeah. But what you described there I think is probably why some people speculate that the Borg built the station because it reconfigures itself. It it can regenerate, it can repair ships. It's it's very much like a Borg like technology as a collective intelligence work there. yeah in its yeah. hive mind no
1: it does have a lot of similarities i i do i do buy that i kind of yeah. like my species designation one theory a little more
0: i like that actually i really like that because it's like these it's like iconians or it, taking it outside mm. of star trek it's like the transport network in contact in carl sagan's contact you know it's this or the this, uh,
1: the ancients and stargate you know, right. we don't
0: see them, but they've they've left they stuff behind They we stuff get behind. to find. Yeah, and I think that's really cool. And we don't get very much of that in Star Trek, only a little bit here and there. And I think it's a really cool idea that we should get more of. Now, here is something, and this is a spoiler alert. So if you're planning to read Christopher L. Bennett's Rise of the Federation book series, and you haven't yet read Tower of Babel, you may want to cover your ears for the next 15 seconds. I mean,
1: take out your earbuds because if you cover your ears with your earbuds in, it, that, it, I tried
0: it. It doesn't work. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the final line in the book, in the second book, "The Tower of Babel, is your inquiry was not recognized. Oh, that's chilling. And it says Star Trek Enterprise Rise of the Federation will continue.
1: Oh, man, that's that's giving me shivers up my spine right now. Yeah, that's...
0: So, okay, we're done with the spoiler part right here for a novel. And, of course, I think most of our listeners don't read the Star Trek books anyway, so... But you should, because the Enterprise ones are very good. Why why read them when you can listen to them on (laughs)
1: Audible.com?
0: I wish. I wish the Enterprise books were on Audible. Oh, that's true. We have to get Star Trek books back in audio format. But anyway, so... That's really cool that we may, in the books, in the next entry in the Rise of the Federation series, find out the origin of these stations. Or we may not. It may remain a mystery, but it seems that one of them may appear there.
1: I mean, it's kind of like Trelane of TOS. I mean, there's so much speculation now that he was yeah. a Q, you know, but yet for 50 years, we didn't care. So it's mm-hmm. it's fine if they add that in and and put that piece of the puzzle in place but if they don't you know we'll come up with our own awesome theories you yeah know, that's just what we fine. do
0: it's it's fun to fill in those blanks well let's go on to the continuity elements because that's another thing that i love about this episode and you know i'm a niner that's my favorite series is deep space nine and one thing i love about deep space nine so much is the continuity of the show from episode to episode and just the serialized nature of that story. And enterprise was sort of a hybrid for me between DS nine and the rest of star Trek closer to the rest of star Trek, but it did have a little bit of DS 9s serialization in it. And I'm not talking about the Zindi art, which was specifically designed to be this long story, but I'm just talking about remembering that things happen in past episodes. And this episode It combines a number of callbacks. There's the obvious one, which is that it picks up from minefield and we've got damage to the ship, which you already mentioned. Reed is like literally
1: three days later or something, or maybe even a week. It's it's no time has passed at all.
0: It is basically in star Trek terms, again, outside of deep space nine, it is basically a sequel to minefield in terms of the events and what happened to the crew there. And besides that, uh, Reed's leg is still injured. He's having to rehabilitate that. And then it also has nice little callbacks, like the fact that Trip scratched the ship in Broken Bow when they bumped into it with the shuttle pod. That was a clever one. I like that. Yeah, it was a really cool one. And they also have references to other things in Star Trek, like the Tarkalians from Trials and Tribulations are mentioned trials and tribulations and you know you hear about Tarkalian T all the time and it was great that they they brought that in there's a Cardassian in the server rack at the end of the episode when they actually go in there you have to be looking closely and one really clever one that I love is that inside Travis's quarters uh, Archer is in there at one point and he gets the call on in the intercom system and in the changeling the original series episode the changeling there's the nomad space probe well, there's actually a model of the original nomad probe in Travis's quarters before it actually became the the kind of merged probe that we saw on t o s So I love the continuity in here and that's one of the things that Enterprise really did well is i mean,
1: yes, it had its difficulty of how do I write as a prequel you know how do it but but again it has this still has this rich history that it can draw on and it can tie in and, you know, and, and some, okay, some episodes that didn't do it as well, but this was one where it really excelled. You could tell the writers knew their stuff. They were, you know, they weren't living in that writing room the entire season. They were like, Oh, we've actually watched broken bow recently. Hey, what if we put mm-hmm. in, you know, that, cause again, this is the age is before Netflix, before you could, you know, these, these, I I don't think these people were constantly combing through old episodes to find things you kind of had to already know it and kind of have it you know in your bible or in your uh in your notes but but yeah i love the continuity um i love uh just how uh you know but it's but it's not a part two you know it uh i mean but like you said if if you watch these in the opposite order it wouldn't make any sense uh you'd be like wait why is the ship and then it gets fixed. I mean, versus TNG, where you can watch, you have you have seasonal or uh, series changes. So if something happens, you could watch pretty much episode. You could watch pretty much season two in almost any order, and it wouldn't really matter. But you you wouldn't want to go from like season three to season two. That you know, all of a sudden, or even two to one, and Geordie's now in red, and what's going on? And right. so. Uh, but yeah, but I, I yeah, I love that, that continuity aspect in this episode.
0: But at the same time with this episode, you could watch it without knowing anything about Minefield. True. And it still works perfectly you could, you fine. You could skip
1: Minefield right. and still watch it. Yeah. You, know, you just wouldn't want to watch it watch Minefield after this.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, or if you would... did, you would say, Oh, that's why the ship was damaged at the beginning of that episode. So so the episodes stand on their own perfectly fine. True. But if you do watch them in order, you get that little bit of, you know, what people call a reward for being a viewer, I guess. You it's you right. you get a little extra for paying attention week after week.
1: And, and, you know, I think the reason fans really like that, at least as a whole, is it, when it's not treating them like they're dumb. I mean, it's like, hey, we know you watch the show. We know there's continuity. Let's try to put that in as much as we can. I mean, mm-hmm. not take it to the extreme of like a lost where if you miss an episode you're just yeah, lost. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other, you have, you know, an I Love Lucy show or something where like it, it, it there's no continuity at all. It's just complete right. episode based. So somewhere in the middle, I mean, you could have the spectrum from TOS to uh you know DS9 being on the on the more serialized end. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think enterprise kind of is that Nice middle hybrid, uh, which I think also just comes from, it's the last, it's the latest of the series. Mm -hmm. And so that's just more the trend, you know, to to, to write in larger arcs. And like you said, especially season three.
0: Well, television has moved even further towards serialization kind of across the board since the time Enterprise was shot. It has. At the same time, I feel like Enterprise does fit in pretty well still. With television like if you watch if you watch Enterprise right now for the very first time I think it still feels like a new series to you I don't I don't think it feels very all that dated in terms of storytelling
1: well, part of it is it was shot in sixteen nine, so that helps i mean yeah, every time stuff. you know i'm yeah. watching well not just the visuals but just the aspect ratio i mean oh, it doesn't sure. look like a square i mean any every time i'm watching you know i'm wishing for a little extra edges on the sides of my screen but.
0: was that jarring to you did you watch enterprise in its first run
1: uh yes i did at least this is the first season
0: okay yeah. was that jarring to you to see star trek in that in that sixteen to nine ratio,
1: it was a little because I was watching uh, four three
0: televisions. So okay, I so didn't, it was I. Yet, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I hadn't yet, you know, bought because they were ridiculously expensive at the time. But well, it was you know, not so common
0: it, at that time to have a sixteen to nine television in your. I, I think it's great. They were very forward thinking about that. I, mm-hmm. I think that they knew that's where things were
1: headed. Like it's not going to go back,
0: right? And likewise, they knew. They they had the foresight to know that things were headed towards HD, so they actually did the visual effects in HD, yeah. even though they didn't have to at the time. And that's yeah.
1: why we got the Blu rays so much sooner. I mean, right. it was much less of a of a deal to than Tos or or, or mm-hmm. next gen to
0: to recompile. Right. Although although I have to say with next gen those guys, oh, it's they, it's amazing. They were very very smart. It's. Like they, I'm sure they didn't anticipate that 20 years later, 25 years later, that everything was going to be in this HD and, you know, they're going to need all that. But they went ahead and they put all that extra work in and they did all that detail work and they shot it on film. and, And I know some of the visuals had to be redone, but for the most part, all that detail that we're seeing now was put in there with them not knowing that anyone would ever see it. It's it's amazing. I mean, you
1: could easily make the show going, well, this is going to be output at like 420 a uh, line high. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculously small. That's not a good resolution at all. But it, it makes me, though, kind of sad just for, for current shows because a lot of stuff is shot digitally now. And it's like when you shoot digital, you're kind of locked in. I mean, you can up-convert, but... Mm-hmm. It's not the same as film. I mean, people don't realize like a, a single frame of film is just ridiculously dense and complex with an image. Like you can, whatever 30 years from now, technology of digital that would come out with, you could still probably go back to a 35 millimeter print and pull to that quality. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. So
0: what's well, w- the twilight zone. Oh it, yeah. It looks beautiful in HD.
1: Well, and then just the black and white just looks beautiful yeah. like, from, from the get go.
0: So so here with Enterprise anyway, it was they were very smart in in prepping the show, show for all of this, and, and it looks great. And so we were talking about continuity a little bit, and we love the continuity elements here. And the other thing about this episode that I love is that sense of unknown and how this episode does capture and it kind of goes back to what i was talking about at the beginning with the naivety but it's not just naivety because you could also see the inner the you could see picard's crew going to a station Mm. like this and it being a complete mystery to them as well Mm -hmm. I, i i think that in star trek through tng ds9 and voyager we kind of got that feeling that everything's familiar like even if we haven't encountered this alien race before there's really not very much about them that would be unusual to us
1: i mean especially in voyager i mean they're supposedly halfway across the galaxy and mm-hmm. yet they encounter opposition x from species y and yes you know that they're gonna get through it you know it's not gonna be an issue but with enterprise they've they've given enough resistance to the world that you're like well i don't know like i don't think a main character is going to die but it's you know something's going to happen and we might mm-hmm. lose a couple members or we're, we might be in trouble
0: and they find technologies that are unusual to them which which right. you, you kind of didn't see very much anymore but again this station could be something that i mean if picard's crew encountered at this particular space station i think they would also be sort of what going on here you know i mean, I mean maybe there Geordi... was
1: technology to rival 24th century almost i mean it was right. pretty advanced
0: right well and even some of the stuff that the station does the federation can't do even in the 24th century the kind of reconfiguration mm-hmm. to what like to adapt to whatever ship comes in and whatever the needs of it are it's really quite amazing so this did a really good job of capturing that sense of unknown here H- how did you feel about about that aspect of the story
1: i really liked what they didn't say i mean just, like we said just from the even from the beginning when they're not getting response from the hail and mm-hmm. when they do get on board there's not some plucky neelix character i mean other than it gets neelix but just you know a, a <laughs> character who's like i'm full of answers ask me anything you know oh this ship it was built such and such and oh mm-hmm. you're the you're my millionth customer haha you know it you know it wasn't like that it was this calculating you know, Siri <laughs> it was mean-spirited Siri. That was basically, you know, I'm not going to give you any answers that I don't have to, you know, you're going to pay me and I'm going to fix your ship, but I'm not gonna tell you anything else. And, and you know, that maybe a Tellarite ship coming up would have no problem with that, but we're humans. We're curious. I mean, that's why we're out here. So everything about the situation, like, irks us but like drives us to understand like okay well who built you well who's running this well you know who do you report to like what's going on like where's my crewman you know when's my ship going to be done Mm -hmm. and we we just can't stop asking questions and all we get is you know your inquiry is not recognized that's like infuriating so i love the the it's just like in horror when you you don't show the the monster Right, because what right. because what your mind imagines in the shadows is ten times more powerful. So you don't give all the answers of why this station's here, who built it, you know, what's it going to do, you know, because and that puts you right next to Archer, experiencing it with him because he doesn't know. I mean, yes, even if he has, uh, you know, even if you're thinking, well, I'm sitting right next to Scott Bakula. I mean, even with the script that he has, he doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't—he doesn't know how this is going to end, and I love that mystery about this episode.
0: He had some nice touches in there too, like when they are when they go up to the table that's the replicator, and T'Pol gets the glass of water, and Archer peeks under the table to find out, and <laughs> and the, that was not even magician? in the script. That was just Scott Bakula improvising.
1: My my favorite technology though had to be the the replicating arm that not not the one on the outside but the one inside that was like working its way through the corridor and would just like scan a component Uh and then just like completely reconfigure a module and then plug it in and it's like done and it's like wow that i mean that that's again where picard doesn't even have this technology like this technology is probably just getting installed on the enterprise
0: j yeah but well that's uh, that borg-like technology that regenerative Mm. technology or or just
1: replicative i mean it was replicators to a much higher technological sophistication than i mean even the table i mean we've seen replicators it's a box in the wall and it has to be in this space and it and and you don't put your hand in there when it's being formed i mean there was no safety shield around that table when it mm-hmm. formed something you could have stuck your fingers half in the glass if you wanted to but but yeah the table the the regenerative arm you know, all those pieces were were really cool. I think I think this uh, episode was even nominated for like visual effects. It was done so well. I think.
0: Yeah, it was, and it actually won an award for the the models of the space mm. station itself. Of course, they're digital models; they're not physical models. Right. Uh, but it won an award for that as well.
1: I'd give it an award. <laughs>
0: yeah, the technology in here is interesting because it does give us a glimpse of like you say, Starfleet technology before it happened. Right. Except we're familiar with re- replicators
1: and transporters and, mm-hmm. you know, really smart AI computers. I mean, the computer in Enterprise doesn't talk to them, but we're used to that. And, and so it's, again, that hat nod to people who have been watching next-gen set in the 24th century. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. hey, look at this. Uh, another species has this before we do.
0: Yeah. But when they pulled in, I wanted to hear the computer say, Please state the nature of the structural emergency.
1: <laughs> that that would have been that would have been good.
0: And they would be like, hey, that's catchy. We should we should write that down. But. There's also medical technology in here, too, like medical regenerative right. technology. And I s I do you see cloning technology in here in a sense? I mean, that's not a Starfleet technology per se. I mean, I guess Starfleet could. Humans could clone, but they don't for ethical reasons in the 24th century, but we do see other alien races who clone.
1: I think so to a point, although I would say it's less cloning and just replicating dead matter Mm -hmm. because the clones are never alive. And it's just, again, it's just, it's the core of that replicating technology. It's like, well, we're just going to, instead of make a bulkhead, we're going to make the structure of a living organism, but it's not it doesn't have that essence or life in it. Uh so i i wouldn't go so far as cloning because that i think like it's a very biological yeah. type process whereas this is a very mechanical biomechanical process. Uh but yeah I, and then like reed's leg getting healed by that prop and that prop i was i i, I wanted to touch on i i did eventually read that it was a reconstructed exocomp from uh from oh, next gen yeah 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 uh, just turned on its side but i but it was funny because again i was watching through and i think it was only two episodes later i saw it sitting in the background of the shuttle bay and i'm like wait a minute that is the leg healing medical device from the space station sitting next to a socket wrench by the shuttle <laughs> i caught you guys trying to hide little greebles in the background but you know i, I let it slide because the show had been off the air for 10 years but
0: and so this must be the precursor to Dr. Crusher's magic little laser
1: healer. Oh, yeah, the dermal regenerator or the yes. little, you know, laser uh, laser scalpel or inverse scalpel. The but, dermal regenerator, yeah. yeah. But And again, yeah. why wouldn't their medical technology be farther advanced than ours? But they definitely, I mean, I could see why the crew of the Enterprise would be interested in this technology. It's like, hey, you know we don't have to go back to Jupiter station every time, you know, we break something. How about we get, you know, you trade us one of those hydro spanners for, uh, you know, some more
0: warp plasma. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the, well, we've talked a lot about the station itself, but the interface of it is something that I think we can all associate with because it's, it's almost like for, for what you guys would be familiar with in the states, uh, most of all, probably an ATM machine at a bank, and for me here in Japan, it's that, and also the ticket machines at the train stations, which are similar type touch panels that are really complex with all sorts of options that you have to pick through, and sometimes you get very frustrated with it. You know, you just like yeah, I just want to talk to a person, but instead it's here, and, it's, and it and and it also reminds me of how you can't talk to a human anymore. You know, it's always, it's automated customer service from hell.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd say it definitely reminds me when you're calling, you know, a a company up and it's like, nope, you can't get to a person. You have to get through our five levels of, you know, software management. We're Mm going to make it easy, though. You can just say
0: yes or no. It's like, (laughs) I don't want to say yes or no. I don't Did you want to do push this? one or two. Did you ever do this? This was my technique with that In when I lived in the States. And um, this was a good 10 years ago. So I'm sure the technology is better now than it was back then. If I ever got one of those things, I would just start yelling random things into the phone to overload it because then it would kick you over to a human. It would give up and it would So you kirked it. I you Kirk'd basically kirked it to <laughs> exactly. death
1: before, it, so it melted down and then gave you its human master operator. Uh, that's a that's a great idea. That's right. I, would, I just kept hitting zero, saying zero's operator, zero's operator. If I keep hitting zero, they gotta let me into a person. But that's right. I think there's actually websites out there where I think it's like called like save you time or something. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. You can yeah. you can punch in they tell you Oh, you I need to, to call yeah. Comcast well it's if you want to get to this function hit 1152 and it's right. like okay I can do that but that's the thing I, I can say yes it. or no but I can't say inglés you know instead of 2 for <laughs> spanish but you know again it's yeah. it's not that much better in 10 years but no uh,
0: this uh this automated voice it was so effective said, oh. and and it's Roxanne Dawson and of course she directed mm-hmm. the episode they they actually I didn't know this until after I had been on, and they talk about it in the commentary, but they actually auditioned a number of different people hmm. for that voice. You know, it, At first, I kind of assumed, well, Roxanne did it because she's directing the episode. She has a great voice for it, so so why not? And, of course, they do mention she was willing to do it for free, so that's that's a bonus that's always helpful. in production. But I can't think of anyone better for it, I mean, unless they maybe had Marina Sirtis do it.
1: True that, but I don't know. That's hasn't she? She has done the voice in some other instances. Mm-hmm. Maybe not an enterprise. Well, but, she
0: does the voice in Star Trek. Continues, I believe.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. That's where I've heard it. Yeah. Well, it reminded me a lot of you know that that story of of Roxanne Dawson doing it of Han Solo. I mean, Han Solo was Harrison Ford reading lines versus other people, and he just became han solo because mm-hmm. he's been reading the lines the whole time and same thing i could i could totally picture roxanne delivering the lines like okay say it like this you know your inquiry is not recognized and then they would say and she's like no not quite right you know and then realizing okay i'm just gonna do it because yeah i i i, I i've now realized i am the perfect person or you know brad bird who directed the incredibles who voiced edna mode because he was the only one who I mean, they just, they couldn't do better than his voice as, as strange as that sounds. But yeah, I was going to say, you know, that this, you know, voice, it was really bossy and, uh, you know, I felt it had a troubled childhood of being an alien, but it, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it didn't, and it took it out on the enterprise. It was really upset. You just don't want to bring up its past, uh, or call it turtle head, but,
0: yeah. um, it's- but,
1: but no, it was a, it was a great great part of the of the episode
0: it's interesting to me because i'm so accustomed in japan to having things talk to me you know the ticket machines i mean our our bathtub tells us when the bath is ready at night it tells us a little creepy i'm not gonna lie but the bath well (laughs) we'll see i mean you want you're downstairs right but your bath is filling upstairs and it's all automated like we, we, we don't turn on faucets to fill the bathtub in japan you press a button on a control panel and it's all automated, and the temperature is all controlled as well. And then it fills up, and it lets you know when it's ready. And you're downstairs, and so you need to know. And so the panel downstairs actually makes announcements to you. And so I'm really accustomed like okay, to that, that's cool. or trains, or ticket machines, or buses, or whatever, talking to me in this. And it's usually a female voice, and it's kind of like this. It's very polite, but it's also. Not very emotional either. It's kind of, I don't, in the case of things here in Japan, I don't want to use the word uncaring, but in the case of the space station, I do kind of think of it as polite yet uncaring. It's just, it's here to give you information and it's going to do it very nicely, but don't ask it for anything special
1: when you ask an inquiry it is activating its vocal processors for the exact millisecond amount of time to respond and then it's done mm-hmm. it doesn't care if you it doesn't small talk it's not it didn't subscribe to hutch hutchinson's you know school of small talk for ai computers and androids but it um but but it but it, again it it adds to that mystery because it's not giving you any answers and you know i'm already suspicious because that you know that little robot in the middle looks mighty familiar uh which i think was a, a proper use from think tank in in voyager that little sphere oh little yeah led going around it and mm-hmm. i'm like okay this thing's evil because you don't use that in a central core of something nice it that is not art it is watching you
0: maybe the station is collecting props from other episodes of star trek this, that's this, it the station actually goes around it's a collector it's a Star Trek it collector. moves through
1: time and space and it gathered an exocomp from that episode and the AI from that episode <laughs> and it maybe Fajo's race from yeah uh, right uh, you know that from the most toys he, yeah yeah from the most toys maybe he built this although I highly doubt that they would be technologically advanced I doubt it if do he that,
0: built but, it it would be really really gaudy it wouldn't be nice yeah. and white and clean like this Maybe this was their minimalist era. <laughs> but so, but the voice was—it was the perfect thing for Archer to play against because we talk about human naivety, the sense of the unknown, how do humans react to things, and and Archer is a lot more like Kirk in, in this type of situation. But but he wants maybe to talk even, to a person. Well, he wants to talk to a person, but like, I think. Kirk would get upset at it and want a solution more quickly than Archer does. Archer is going to like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Oh, they're going to do this for us. And wait a minute, you're not listening to me. And finally he gets really ticked. And he's, you know, you, you, there's that great shot of what Archer looks like from inside the control panel. Yeah. Whereas I can see Picard, like Picard would eventually just kind of sigh and tug on his tunic and then ask data and droid to figure it out (laughs) right and that would be you know so so archer gets very frustrated but it is it is the human nature right like at a point we're going to get so frustrated with this and then as you mentioned earlier on in our discussion then we really try to figure out just what's going on here and that's where they really do figure out what's going on and of course the fact that the the station thinks that Porthos is a crew member was a wonderful little use of Porthos (laughs) in this episode. And there's a great, I I love the shot, the shot of Porthos in his quarters with Archer, but the perspective is like they're shooting it from Porthos's level. They're down on the floor. It was, it was beautiful camera work there.
1: I'm sure they had to, you know, drill a hole in the floor and shove a giant HD camera into it, but, but it was worth it. It it, it gave that, that unique perspective and, Um, well, you know, and, but again, with the, the, you know, the, the mystery part as, as the episode progresses and you, you, we, we lose a series crew member, like, oh my goodness, like that, wait, this is episode what, four or five of season two? That can't happen. I mean, I know he's born in space and I know a lot of people feel he's already, you know, run his course on where his character's going, but you can't just kill, you know, Mayweather, you know, who's going to fly the ship? Uh, and you know, that, that was some nice twist. I, 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 again, it was another great episode because everyone kind of did something, Yeah, you know, or figured out a piece of the puzzle as it went, you know, DePaul was always distrusting and, you know, Archer was like, I'm going to have a plan. And Porthos was like, you look funny. And you know, everyone, everyone <laughs>
0: did something. And Trip was like, I'm going to have some pan fried catfish this is the best ever it's like captain before we blow it up can i just have it replicate pan after
1: pan after pan (laughs) pan fried catfish and just shove it in my locker no trip
0: talking about the replicator technology being more advanced though apparently it's it's sort of it's what's the word it's predictive i guess i was gonna Mm. say adaptive but maybe predictive you say pan fried catfish it prepares the rest of the meal for you because it was like a full meal yeah, it that was they didn't like a, ask yeah, for.
1: Everything that would go with it, right? You know, with appropriate wine on the side almost. Right, exactly. I mean, if you drink wine with catfish, I don't even know.
0: but Probably not. I think you drink beer. I'm from Alabama. We do have catfish. You can go to the catfish restaurants dedicated to nothing but catfish. I'm pretty sure beer would be the choice of drink.
1: Yeah, but exactly. It was the full meal. I mean, this isn't shake and bake. It's, it gives you, you yeah. know,
0: every everything. But talking about Travis, I thought it was really clever, though, because Travis didn't have that much to do on the show. Now, when I go back and watch season one, I do see a lot more for Travis in those episodes than I remember them being. So I, I think that the notion that Travis is a forgotten character right off the bat is something that's sort of, um, it's a collective reflective. Yeah. It's a, it's sort of like the common belief that has evolved over time. That's not completely accurate as to what's on the screen. However, he is probably maybe he and Hoshi are the least used characters on the show. And so if you are going to pick a character who's going to die, in the episode travis was a really good choice to, to kind of make the viewer think for a moment that may, maybe he did die kind of like and, and you had
1: continuity from the last episode so maybe in the next episode he's still dead i mean maybe mm-hmm. he'll come back later who, who knows i mean yeah he does feel like that fifth character like mm-hmm. you know he's just he's that far removed from the main person that you're like Okay, maybe maybe something is going to happen. You know, maybe he felt he wasn't getting enough screen time, and he wanted to leave the show. I mean, but just like yar, you know.
0: Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's. I, I think again, watching it as a Star Trek fan, you're thinking, okay, he's not dead. It's they're not going to kill the main character. But
1: my Netflix queue says I still got a couple more seasons left, so I
0: just I know <laughs> he's not. He's not dead. But if it had been Reed or Trip or T'Pol, who they had found then you would know something's up right off the bat. Yeah,
1: it's true. It yeah. would have tipped their hand way too early in the episode.
0: There actually was, a, they were going to have a scene in the episode where Travis actually saw his doppelganger, saw his replicated clone, mm. we decided we weren't really going to call this cloning, but they decided not to do that because they did feel like that it's kind copy. Of, that tipped the hand too soon. Right. Yeah, if that were the case. So.
1: Gets, you see it beam in and then the you know, paralyzed, you know, Travis gets beamed out or something Mm -hmm. like that.
0: Right. One thing that I didn't actually put on the outline, but one thing that I do really enjoy about this episode as well is the character moments that we get. Because again, one reason why I love deep space nine is because of the really, really deep character interaction. And this episode does a really good job of that as well. We have moments between Archer and Reed we have a great scene between Hoshi and Flocks which mm-hmm. i think they both play really really well and John Billingsley in particular plays that scene beautifully he is so good at he's, playing he's those good. emotional moments
1: yeah no he he's he's almost the the hidden gem in the cast because mm-hmm. he's he's just really a really good actor and he gets a lot of great episodes and a lot of great lines fortunately like they use him yeah. and he's not you know under under underserved but yeah and and that scene with hoshi i mean uh, it's nice because i mean I, it makes me think of like um who, and you have a portion of the enterprise gets sliced off and you know 27 or so crew members have died but and we see picard he's like mad about it but we don't i mean it's a crew of a thousand so it's it's kind of different whereas you know that's you know, even one person dying on the NX-01 is like, is a huge deal. And, and we're like, as humans, we want that to be felt. It's like, okay, this should be a big deal, you know, especially for those closest to
0: him. Yeah, absolutely. Because they are a tight knit family there. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it's, I think that is an overlooked element of this episode because it's so much of the focus is on the station and is on the creepiness of the of the episode and kind of the horror feel to it and, and yet it does have some of the best character moments in it
1: no it's it's a very strong installment for season 2 by by far it it sets a very high bar to to
0: match no oh, most definitely well is there anything else about this episode that you love about it that we haven't covered yet any final thoughts you have on it
1: uh i definitely have to say the the end shot i love the end shot where mm-hmm. you know they so they've you know they battled off the robotic arms and they've blown up the warp plasma and warped out you know mostly fixed up i mean which is fortunate that they didn't discover you know all this bad stuff when they were still in a wreck but at the very last shot you see is one of those arms and it grabs a piece of the floating station and holds it next to its adjoining slot and kind of starts to repair it. And it's just, and the ominous music plays and you're like, oh, it's putting itself back together. You know, in a couple of months, this it could just be sitting there like normal, like nothing had happened, ready to, I mean, I'm sure it probably lost its its main core, but it would start again at square one. And then the first ship, it's its its first uh, donation to its computer core. And just Mm -hmm. that scene, just that hint of, this isn't over was great. I love that part of the ending because it just, because we still didn't know who these people were. We still didn't know who built it, whether it would show up again. And I mean, I didn't really expect it to show up again because they're not traveling in that direction. But, uh, but I love that. I think that was the perfect ending to the episode.
0: Yeah, it it was, that's why if there were seven seasons, I would, hope that we would encounter one of these stations again because it is creepy and it's there in the musical queue and everything. It's great. And that's why I love what Christopher L. Bennett has done with Tower of Babel and, and that little ending, little unexpected coda there, as we called it, when we talked about the book on literary tricks. And well, and, and it would have been cool either to come across another station
1: or to come across... Uh, either a ship or something, and then they notice and they start to realize that the technology is the same. They're like, we've seen this technology. Like, it's not just the same station, because then you instantly recognize it, you turn around, and you go the other way. But if it's, like, a cruiser or a colony, and you're like, wait, this, this seems familiar. And then again, you're honoring those fans who watch the show, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the replicating station. People don't Trust them; they're, you know, evil, and you know, then you learn. There's, I don't know. You you learn more of the plot, but I think that would be a great way to reveal reveal
0: that. Definitely. Well, Darren, I, thanks for picking this episode today. It was a it was a really fun discussion, and uh, thanks for joining me here on Warp Five. And now, I'll go talk to Philip about that mug that I need with the logo, the all Grey logo on it. <laughs> Oh, I will definitely. Yours,
1: I will even make it, you know, flared out at the bottom, like you know, a ten forward mug. I mean, because
0: that—that's the best way to go. All right, that sounds good. All right. Well, before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you around the network and around the interwebs.
1: Oh, well, around the network, you can find me on our regular show, which is Earl Gray, which is our next gen series focused show with uh, my two co-hosts, Philip and Daniel, who you've heard recently here on Warp Five. And uh, we just love talking about all things next gen from the show to the crew episode reviews. Uh, but we really get in, you know, beyond that to a lot of the detail and the character interactions and all the great parts. And I, we're, we're, we're have our sights set on a hundred episodes. At least we're blowing through it. We're <laughs> never going to stop us. Uh, we're going to catch up to some of those other shows and surpass them. We're going to lap them. Uh, but uh so you can find me there. You can also find me on my personal sci-fi show, which is called The Doctor Sci-Fi Show. And we I talk more about broad science fiction topics and change those topics each month. Uh, we just finished a topic on toys, and I did a great episode on Playmates toys, the Star Trek line, which was a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, it's just one of the big things from my childhood. And this next month we'll be covering space. And I actually get to visit the armstrong space research center next month and i'm going to do some live broadcasting from there so i'm really excited about that so cool the so podcast wise you can find me there or if you want to chat more about any episode of of enterprise it's always fun to talk about you can find me on twitter under dr sci-fi which is
0: d-r-s-c-i-f-i excellent it's too bad playmates didn't make one of these repair station toys Oh, that would have been great, or even just, or
1: or or make one that could fit around like a micro machine, so it's you know maybe only about (laughs) ten eight eight to ten inches big, but you could reconfigure it. You know, I just
0: I I would buy it. You know, I just finally they these official Starship collection that Eagle Moss is doing. Eagle Moss, yeah, Europe and in the U.S. budget
1: (laughs) just cannot support.
0: Finally, came to Japan last weekend. For pre-order, it's going to be available in May here. I pre-ordered. And um, they should do the station as part of that collection because eventually they're going to run out of ships to do, so they need to do the station. It'll probably be like number 147 or something like that. Well, yeah, it has to have a 47 in there because (laughs) it's Star Trek. But that would be great. I
1: would, Especially if they could put a little extra into it and make it articulate where you could, you know, cat cradle or whatever that's called make it bigger or smaller uh, Mm -hmm. to to fit around your other ships that would be really cool
0: all right well thanks again for joining me darren you're welcome well it was great having darren with me today and i hope everyone enjoyed the discussion of dead stop but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm Standard Orbit. <laughs> Dr. McCoy with Larry Nanotech. But, you know, when everybody else had their Kirk shirt or their Spock shirt, like the first uniform I had my mom make me was a McCoy uniform, of course. Earl Grey.
1: The 7-7 Challenge. Did you know that Tim Russ was one of the possible choices for Commander Drury of But Wars? did you know he was also in Star Trek Generations? But did you know he was also served with Captain Sulu on board the Excelsior? I did know that, in fact. The orb. Orb Orb Our man Bashir Bashir commentary.
0: (laughs) I love Avery. (laughs) Tell me what happens next. (laughs) And the look. The look up at an angle. He's not even looking at Bashir. He's looking up at the angle. Tell me what (laughs) happens next. (laughs) The ready room. Spectre Spectre of the gun. They're so quick to jump
1: to conclusions. Like the guy gets shot in front of them and they're like, death is the only thing that's real on this planet. you are like, wait a minute. (laughs) How do you know that? That could just be a total figment of your imagination as well. (laughs) To the journey! Favorite slime commentary.
0: Yeah, Janeway is... uh, You better get more coffee, sweetie. It's going to be a long day. Ensign Kim is going to put you through some hell. Warp 5. Alternate outcomes of the Zindi crisis. But the Enterprise is heavily damaged. We're talking practically destroyed everything but a shell maybe the saucer section is the only thing that's still around and 80 percent of the crew dies commentary trek stars
1: rick bourbon and star trek it's kind of a moving target
0: so he found some dimensionality he made it into a cube yeah so he was able to move things around in there a poor cube mm-hmm. <laughs> continuing mission star trek equinox john
1: savage actually came up with the premise for the story but we, they needed somebody to flesh it out to develop it and so they sent me john's premise and i just well it expanded into the script for the project that
0: we're doing melodic tricks you're in music
1: in when when they released it as a Blu-ray, when they combined them, They connected yeah. them, and there's the no feature. delay. There's they, they cut off that music, and then it's just like,
0: well, oh, that didn't work. Literary treks, Rise, Rise of the
1: Federation, Federation,
0: Tower of Babel. Saval
1: talks about this idea that you know people mutually consent to abide by these rules for their collective benefit.
0: The idea that you know a- absolute unfettered freedom is just a
1: ridiculous idea. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out all of these shows and get in on our daily Trek Talk. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from our website. So go find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And if you're over in iTunes, be sure to visit our new home in the iTunes store where you'll find our dedicated artist page and section where we're now able to group and highlight our shows and our past content to make it easier for you to find things that maybe you haven't heard before. We're quickly approaching a thousand episodes here on Trek FM, so there's a wealth of interviews and discussion waiting for you there. And the quickest way to get to it all is to simply go to iTunes.com slash and while you're over there, if you enjoy the show, leave us a star rating and a written review. We do love to hear from you, and it also helps other Enterprise fans find Warp 5 as they're looking for content in the iTunes store. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us on Dead Stop or anything Enterprise or Star Trek, for that matter, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go to our website at contact to send us a message. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to me by email. You can also leave us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at forums to talk to us and other listeners about warp 5 enterprise or anything about star trek that you'd like to discuss and if you'd like to find me you can find me on twitter my username is c brian jones that's the letter c and brian with a y You can find me pretty much anywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com, And then elsewhere on the network, you'll find me on quite a few shows. I do Literary Treks with Matthew Rushing, where we talk Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together, which is a lot like this show, except it's about Deep Space Nine. You'll find me on Matterstream, which is about science and social issues and creative Things that are inspired by Star Trek, not necessarily about Star Trek itself. And there I have interviews with scientists and actors and other creatives and all sorts of people there. And you'll also find me on Continuing Mission, which is about Star Trek fan films and independent productions. And we're going to be getting into some games there pretty soon as well. And then you'll find me every week with other hosts from all around the network, including Darren from Time to Time, on the ready room where we talk about star trek news and all five live action star trek series so check out those shows as well before i let you go i'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show audible.com they are the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere they have over 150,000 titles waiting for you right now and they add hundreds of new titles every single week they have new releases bestsellers classics Lots of Star Trek books as well, like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, which are three of my favorites. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a trial to see just how great Audible is. So go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Choose any book you like, absolutely free. And there's nothing to lose because if at the end of the trial you decide that you don't want to stick with Audible... You get to keep that book. But, you know, if you like podcasts, I know you're going to love Audible. So give it a try. audibletrial.com slash And your support of Audible helps us keep Warp 5 coming to you every week. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. We'd also like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's Smooth Federation. That's where you'll find this smooth jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me that we use here on the show. Andrew also has nine other jazz renditions of music from across the Star Trek universe, so go pick it up today. I know you're going to love it. I love it. Listen to it all the time, and you'll find it in iTunes or on Amazon. Really great stuff there by Andrew. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, today. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you'll send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.